Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 2, Episode 47. Last week, I covered the history of Amman. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm covering the history of the Philistines, so let's get started. When we last looked in the Old Testament, we were in Genesis chapter 19, just after Sodom and Gomorrah. Chapter 20 starts with Kadesh, Shur, and Negev. I covered Kadesh last week, and we'll get to Shur and the Negev. Then there's Gerir, of which not much is really known. Chapter 21 introduces us to Beersheba, which will be covered soon. And at the end of chapter 21 are the Philistines. Well, maybe. Why do I say maybe? We'll get to that in a bit. Now for their history. The Philistines were an ancient people, mostly known for their conflict with the Israelites as described in the Old Testament. Overall, the greatest historical source of the Philistines is the Bible. Despite this, the first mention of them are at the same source as that of the Moabites, specifically the Temple of Ramses III at Medinite Habu, of course in Egypt. In this inscription, they are called the Peleset, which researchers consider to be the same as the Hebrew Pilisit. Assyrian sources also refer to groups with similar names. The first reference to the Philistines in the Old Testament is found in the Table of Nations, in Genesis chapter 10. In this passage, they are said to descend from Caslehem, the son of Egypt, who was the son of Ham. To be clear, the passage never really states that a man named Philistine was the son of Caslehem so we don't really know how far removed they were from Noah. For years, researchers have debated if the passage in the Table of Nations was originally intended to indicate that the Philistines themselves were the offspring of the Cashlehem, or maybe the Kafirtim. Biblical scholars usually adhere to the belief that they were the offspring of one of these two groups of people. But outside scholars believe the Philistines were of a Semitic origin, at least some scholars. The Torah itself does not record the Philistines as one of the nations to be displaced from Canaan by the descendants of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, the Philistines are absent from the ten peoples Abraham's descendants will oust. In Genesis chapter 21, Abraham agrees to a covenant of kindness with Abimelech, a Philistine king, and confers the same covenant to Abimelech's descendants. Abraham's son Isaac deals with the Philistine king similarly by entering into a treaty with them in chapter 26. So at least through this section of Genesis, there seems to be amicable relations between the two groups. In Exodus chapter 13, God led the Israelites away from the Philistines when they exited Egypt. They are also missing from the list of nations Moses tells the people they will conquer, as found in Deuteronomy chapters 7 and 20. And the Philistines of Genesis, and to a certain degree Exodus, were friendly to Abraham and are identified by rabbinic sources as different from the warlike people described later in the Old Testament. Then again, they could have switched allegiances multiple times, similar to the Moabites and Ammonites. According to Joshua chapter 13 and 1 Samuel chapter 6, the land of the Philistines, called Philistia, was in the southwestern Levant namely Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Ekron, and Gath, from the Wadi Gaza in the south to the Yarkon River in the north. There was no fixed boundary to the east. 
it is thought that Tel Kazil was a large port city and also controlled by the Philistines, but this city was not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's the modern city of Tel Aviv. Ekron is believed to have been the northern border of Philistia. To this day, no one is really certain of the location of Gath, but the site of Tel Ashafi, not far from Ekron, is currently the most likely location. Similarly, the location of the city of Ziglag, which according to the Old Testament marked the boundary between the Philistine and Israelite territory, is also uncertain, and therefore highly debated. They are also described as among the Kingdom of Israel's most threatening enemies. Surprisingly, the tradition of Eastern Christianity uses the word Elophilia instead of Philistines, which simply means other nations. Traditional Jewish rabbinic sources assert that the Philistines of Genesis were different from the Philistines of the later Old Testament. This difference was also relied on by the authors of the Septuagint, who translated its base text as Alifolio, meaning other nations, instead of Philistines throughout the books of Judges and Samuel. Throughout the Deuteronomistic, now there's a great word. Anyway, throughout the Deuteronomistic history, the Philistines are almost always referred to without the word the, except in 11 places. Because of this, Robert Drews of Vanderbilt University in the U.S. believed that the term Philistines simply referred to the non-Israelites of the Promised Land, when used in the context of Samson, Saul, and David. In Judges chapter 13, during the era of Samson, the Philistines dominated the Israelites. It was Samson who fought with and killed in excess of 1,000 Philistines. Then, beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 5, they even captured the Ark of the Covenant for a short time. Some of these passages, like the Ark narrative and other stories reflecting the importance of Gath, seem to portray a period within the Iron Age. They are mentioned more than 250 times, the majority in the Old Testament history, found between the books of Joshua and 2 Kings, and in these passages, they are the arch-enemies of the Israelites and prove to be a serious and recurring threat before being quelled by the young, not-yet-king, David, with a sling. The Old Testament paints the Philistines as the primary antagonist to the Israelites, with a state of almost perpetual war between the two. This was at least before the rise of the Neo-Assyrian Empire. This empire controlled the Levant between the 10th and late 7th centuries BC. The Philistine cities eventually lost their independence to Assyria. They attempted several revolts, but these were all put down. After the Assyrians, the Philistines were absorbed into the Neo-Babylonian Empire and then into the Achaemenid Empire. Sometime around the late 5th century BC, they seemingly disappeared as a distinct ethnic group. More on that in a bit. The Book of Amos in Chapter 1 places the Philistines at Ashdod and Ekron both on the Mediterranean coast of what is today Israel. But, in the same book, in chapter 9, it's asserted that as God brought Israel from Egypt, he also brought the Philistines from Kaptor, or according to other sources from Cappadocia. Kaptor is thought to be Crete, while Cappadocia was in what is now central western Turkey. According to the Old Testament, there were many battles between the Israelites and the Philistines, these included the Battle of Shephelah in 2 Chronicles 28. The Israelites were defeated at the Battle of Ephek when the Philistines captured the Ark, as found in 1 Samuel chapter 4, 
Then the Philistines were defeated at the battle of Ebenezer in 1 Samuel chapter 7. There was some sort of skirmish at Michmash where the Philistines routed Jonathan and his men in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Not to forget, near the valley of Elod, David defeated Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And the Philistines defeated the Israelites on Mount Gilboa in the process killing King Saul and his three sons, Jonathan, Abinab, and Malkishua, as found in 1 Samuel. Finally, Hezekiah defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its surrounding territory in 2 Kings chapter 18. Both from biblical researchers and outside historians, there are several theories about the origins of the Philistines. Some biblical passages, like I just mentioned, connect the Philistines to other biblical groups such as the Captorum, the Chetherites, and the Peleotites. These groups have both been identified with Crete. This, in turn, has led to the thought of an Aegean origin, but, like so many times, as I have covered over the past year, this theory has been disputed. Other researchers believe they are related to the Luwians of Western Asia Minor. Then, actually in 2016, a large Philistine cemetery was discovered. This cemetery contained more than 150 graves and seems to indicate an Aegean origin, it is thought that these graves date to between the 11th and 8th centuries BC. A few of the deceased were buried in oval pits, four out of the 150 were cremated, and other bodies were deposited in ashlar burial chamber tombs. These burial practices were typical in the Aegean culture, but were not usually found in Canaanite burials. Genetic testing of the human remains is in process and may further inform their origin. The English word Philistine is related to the modern name Palestine, and both originate from the old French word Philistine, which in turn was from the classical Latin word Philistinus. This word can be found in the writings of Josephus. Josephus adopted the late Greek word Philistinio, also seen as Philistum in the Septuagint. In addition, the late Greek word can be found in the writings of Philo, the 1st century AD Jewish-Greek writer from Alexandria. It is thought that he adopted the word from the Hebrew Philistim, which can be found in Genesis chapter 21, verse 34. Also in Judges 14, 1 Samuel 17, and Amos 1. Of course, in our modern English translations, it's always rendered as Philistine, or some similar derivative. Outside of the Old Testament, well, really all of the ancient biblical literature, evidence for the name and the origins of the Philistines is thinner. Owing to this, and general curiosity, the Philistines are the subject of both research and speculation in the field of biblical archaeology. Since 1846, scholars have connected the biblical Philistines with what are known as the Egyptian Peleset inscriptions. There are five such inscriptions, all dated to between 1150 and 900 BC. These, and maybe coincidentally, maybe not, appear to be the same time that archaeological references to Canaan cease. This has led some researchers to draw comparisons between the Philistines and the Aegean Belasgeans. While the evidence for these connections is mostly etymological, and of course has been disputed, this identification is held by most Egyptologists and Biblical archaeologists. Outside of these groups of researchers, other research to date has been unable to validate a mass settlement of Philistines during the reign of Ramses III. 
Based on these Peleset inscriptions, it has been proposed that the Cashelite Philistines form part of the supposed Sea Peoples, who repeatedly attacked Egypt during the later 19th dynasty. There will be more on this group when I cover Egypt. These Sea Peoples were eventually repelled by Ramses III. A papyrus text details the achievements of the reign of Ramses. In the brief account of the outcome of the battles in year 8 of his reign, is a quotable description of the fate of some of the supposed Sea Peoples. In this text, Ramses claims that, having brought the prisoners to Egypt, he, quote, settled them in strongholds bound in my name. Numerous were their classes, hundreds of thousands strong. I taxed them all in clothing and grain from the storehouses and granaries each year, end quote. This group appears in four different texts at the time of the New Kingdom, Two of these texts, specifically the inscriptions at Meninit Habu and the rhetorical stela at Deir al Menina, are dated to the time of the reign of Ramses III, which was from about 1186 to 1155 BC. A third text was written in the period immediately following the death of Ramses III. The fourth text is dated between the end of the 12th and the early 11th centuries BC. The inscriptions at Meninet Habu include images showing a group of sea peoples who are said in the associated inscription to have been defeated by Ramses III during year 8 of his campaign. Then, around 1175 BC, Egypt was again threatened with a massive land and sea assault by the sea peoples. In this case, it was a confederation of foreign enemies which included the Jekar, the Shikalish, the Dayan, the Wishish, the Teresh, and the Sherdan. They were methodically crushed by Ramses' forces. With the fight occurring on the eastern Mediterranean coast and at the mouths of the Nile Delta, his victories were recorded in a series of inscriptions in his mortuary temple at Meninet Habu. As exciting as these all sound, researchers have been unable to conclusively determine which images attached to each of the groups in the reliefs depicting the two major battle scenes. A different relief image on one of the bases of the Osirid pillars located at Karnak with hieroglyphic text clearly identifies a person depicted as a captured Peleset chief. In this image, he is a bearded man without headdress. The inscriptions and images have led to the interpretation that Ramses III defeated the Sea Peoples, which may have included the Philistines, and settled their captives in fortresses in southern Canaan. A different but related theory suggests that the Philistines invaded and settled the coastal plain of the Levant for themselves, without a stopover in Egypt. According to this theory, the soldiers were quite tall and clean-shaven. They apparently wore breastplates and short kilts, and their superior weapons included chariots drawn by a pair of horses. They also carried small shields and fought with straight swords and spears. A papyrus which was found in a tomb at Benedict Hebu also recounts Ramses III's battles with the Sea Peoples, declaring that the Peleset were reduced to ashes. This papyrus apparently shows how the defeated were brought in captivity to Egypt and then settled in some sort of fortress. There are two interpretations of this text. First, the captives were settled in Egypt and then the uncaptured Sea Peoples carved out a territory for themselves in Canaan. Or second, Ramses himself resettled the Sea Peoples thought to be the Philistines in Canaan, possibly as mercenaries. In the text, Egyptian forces in Canaan are mentioned, 
including a temple dedicated to a moon. Some researchers place this temple in Gaza, but the text is relatively scant on geographic details, so the precise location of the fortress is pretty much unknown. Other researchers propose that these so-called strongholds were fortified towns in southern Canaan, which would eventually become the five cities of the Philistines mentioned in the Old Testament. Israel Finkelstein, an Israeli archaeologist at the University of Tel Aviv, and who possesses a great name for his occupation, has proposed that 25 to 50 years may have passed between the defeat of these cities and their reoccupation by the Philistines. Also, it is conceivable that for the initial period of time, the Philistines were imprisoned in Egypt, and then, only later, during the troubled conclusion to the reign of Ramses III, they were allowed to settle in Philistia. That sounds eerily similar to another group that left Egypt potentially in the same era. There is also a singular mention of the Peleset in an Egyptian source that corresponds with the five cities that are noted in the Bible to have made up the Philistine territory. So, they may have been one and the same. But also, we may never know. To the north of the Levant, Luwian texts refer to Wallastinia, spelled with a W, and thought to be a variant of Palestinia. In the text, it describes Wallastinia as a kingdom somewhere on the Amuk Plain, where the Amuru Kingdom had held sway before it. Another theory, proposed by German archaeologist Hermann Jacobson, is that the name was derived from the attested Balkan geographic region known as Palesti, whose inhabitants would have been called Palestini according to their normal grammatical practice. But the Balkans are quite a ways from the Levant. Professor Alan Jones proposes the name Philistine represents a corruption of the Greek words phile histia, meaning the tribe of the hearth. Now this makes sense, since the Greek spelling of the word hearth is similar. He suggests that the Philistines introduced the fixed hearth to the Levant. His proposal was documented before archaeological evidence for the use of hearths was discovered at Levantine archaeological sites. It's worth noting that unlike the Moabites and the Ammonites, actual inscriptions written by the Philistines have not yet been found, or not at least conclusively identified. Outside of Egypt and in 2003, a statue of a king named Taita was uncovered during excavations conducted by German archaeologist K. Kohlmeyer in the citadel of Aleppo in what is now Syria. The statue was inscribed in Luwian. The Anatolian hieroglyphic signs were interpreted by Hittitologist. Now there's a word for you. Anyway, they were interpreted by Hittitologist Elizabeth Rykin and Ilya Yakubovich. Their interpretation led to the conclusion that the country was ruled by Taita, who was referred to as a Palestine. Apparently, in the 11th and 10th centuries BC, this country extended from the Amuk Valley in the west to Aleppo in the east, south of Mihardab and Shizar. Due to the similarity between the words Palestine and Philistines, a different Hittitologist, this time John David Hawkins, proposed a connection between the Syro-Hittite Palestine and the Philistines. His theory was subsequently supported by other archaeologists. But this connection is still being debated. Israeli professor Itamar Singer notes that, other than the name, there is no connection in the recently discovered archaeology that indicates an Aegean origin to the Palestine. Other uncovered artifacts at the Palestine capital Tel Tayanat point towards a Hittite state as does the names of the kings of Palestine. 
Singer goes on to propose that a branch of the Philistines settled in Tel Tayanet and were then replaced or potentially assimilated by a new Luwian population who took the Palestine name. Such are the problems when there are no written records. As for the artifacts in the region, there are several interpretations. Many researchers have interpreted the ceramic and technological finds as being associated with the Philistines. They go on to propose that the Philistines were part of a large-scale immigration to southern Canaan, probably from Anatolia and Cyprus, thought to have occurred in the 12th century BC. Other scholars discount this theory as there is difficulty of associating pots with people. Their words, not mine. They instead propose economic explanations such as potters and distinct styles following their markets, as well as the transfer of technology. They sum their theory with the quip, kings come and go, but the pots remain, ultimately proposing that the foreign Aegean elements in the Philistine population may have been a minority. The theorized connection between the Aegean culture and the Philistine culture was also supported by finds at the excavation of sites at Ashdod, Ekron, Ashkelon, and more recently Gath. Note that these locations make up four of the five Philistine cities in Canaan. The only one missing is Gaza. What is thought to be Philistine pottery includes a locally made version of what is similar to pottery found on Crete. Especially notable is that both versions are decorated in shades of brown and black. This proposed Philistine pottery then evolved into the distinctive Philistine pottery of the early Iron Age, with black and red decorations on white slip that have become known as Philistine bichrome ware, and that's ware, W-A-R-E. Outside of pottery, there are other similarities between the two cultures. Particularly interesting is a sizable, well-constructed building covering 2,600 square feet, or 240 square meters, discovered at Ekron. The building has broad walls and were apparently designed to support a second floor. It also has a wide, ornate entrance that leads to a large hall, partly covered with a roof supported on a row of columns. In the floor of the hall is a circular hearth paved with pebbles, as is typical in Aegean buildings. The building also includes other unusual architectural features, such as paved benches and podiums. Among the finds are three small bronze wheels with eight spokes. Similar wheels were used for portable religious stands in the Aegean region during this period. Therefore, it is assumed that this building served a religious function. Further evidence concerns an inscription in Ekron, which some researchers have suggested refers to Patnia, the title given to an ancient Aegean goddess. Excavation at Ashkelon, Ekron, and Gath revealed dog and pig bones which show signs of having been butchered, probably demonstrating that these animals were consumed for food. Among other findings were wineries that allegedly produced fermented wine and also loom weights similar to those of Aegean sites in Greece. These findings may represent reasonably conclusive evidence that the Philistines were not indigenous to Canaan. Lawrence Steger, a professor at Harvard University, believes that the Philistines migrated via the Mediterranean to Canaan before the previously covered Battle of the Nile Delta around 1175 BC. Many researchers believe that the Philistines settled in two stages. The first period, believed to correspond with the reign of Ramses III, was limited to the coastal plain, which includes the region of the five cities. 
The second period, dated to the collapse of Egyptian rule in southern Canaan, was where their influence spread inland beyond the coast. Between the 10th to 7th centuries BC, the Philistine culture appears to have been absorbed with that of surrounding peoples. As for the size of the Philistine population, it's estimated to have been around 25,000 in the 12th century BC and grew to its largest size of 30,000 in the 11th century. The Philistine language remains largely unknown. Pottery fragments from the period between 1500 and 1000 BC have been found with inscriptions in non-Semitic languages, including one a Cypro-Minoan script, meaning that the script resembles others from the island of Cyprus. But the Old Testament does not mention any difficulty the Israelites had in communicating with the Philistines. And Nehemiah chapter 13 shows that when Judean men intermarried women from Moab, Ammon, and Philistine cities, half the offsprings of Judean marriages with women from Ashdod could speak only their mother tongue and not Judean Hebrew. But by then, this language may have been an Aramaic dialect. Also, there is some limited evidence that the Philistines were originally either Indo-European speakers from Greece or Luwian speakers from the coast of Asia Minor. This theory is based on that some of the Philistine-related words found in the Bible do not appear to be related to other Semitic languages. The theory suggests that the Semitic elements in the languages were probably borrowed from their neighbors in the region. Like I've said since the first episode, language is constantly evolving. Just think of the King James Bible. But then again, some Philistine names appear to be Semitic, and others are non-Semitic. As for the religion, the deities worshipped in the area were Baal, Ashtarta, and Dagon, whose names, or variations thereof, have already appeared in the earlier attested Canaanite pantheon of deities. And Baal may be one and the same as Bel in chapter 14 of Daniel. Go ahead and look it up. But it will not be in every Bible, only those that include the apocryphal books. Cities excavated in the area evidence thorough town planning, even including industrial zones. For example, the olive industry of Ekron included an estimated 200 olive oil extractors. Archaeologists approximate that the city's production may have been more than 1,000 tons annually. For comparison, today this would make up about 30% of Israel's annual production of olive oil. Finally, there is substantial evidence of large-scale production of a type of fermented drink Archaeological finds include breweries, wineries, and retail shops marketing beer and wine. Beer and wine mugs are among the most common pottery finds, of course. And that is the history of the Philistines, and the episode for this week. Join me next week when I'll cover the history of Beersheba, as covered in Genesis chapter 21. You don't want to miss it. In between now and then, I hope you will go to iTunes or wherever you receive the podcast from, and leave a positive review. I know, I know, I've made this request several times, and trust that more of you will take me up on it sooner or later. And in doing so, you will help others find the podcast. And finally, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page. And if you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released. Thanks for listening, 
and have a great week.